you have a Bible today, let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. If you were with us last week, you might remember that the previous chapter had to do with internal conflict. And so there was a problem within the country of Israel, within Judah. And so when there's conflict within our camp, you know, among ourselves, then in one sense the enemy doesn't have to do a whole lot, right? He just lets us fight each other and destroy the work ourselves, right? But if we get it together and we, there's no divisiveness here, there's a unity, there's a heart, you know, we're, we kind of overcome those types of things, then the enemy will have to step it up again. And what we'll find is that there'll be conflict not just from the inside among us, but there'll be conflict now from the outside. You know, the devil will attack when he sees us regrouping, so to speak. What he'll do is he'll regroup and he'll renew his attack from the outside. And not only that, you guys know this, the devil always tries to come into the church, always tries to. And so we need to be aware of that. You know, as we go through Nehemiah 6, I kind of want to read the whole thing to you. Um, Let's see how far we go. Look at verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no bricks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I guess we'll pause there. You know, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. You know, we see these three enemies mentioned over and over again in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, first, there's this guy, Sanballat. He was a Samaritan. Uh, from Beth Horon, who, with Tobiah and Geshem, they opposed Nehemiah every step of the way. Did you guys know that the Christian life is not a playground, that it's a battleground? Did you know that? That the enemy's agenda is to take you to hell, to take them to hell, or perhaps give us, like, even as Christians, you know, a, a life that almost can be labeled as hell because we're not living in that victorious Christian place that God calls us to. And so the enemy will oppose us in different ways. Uh, here we have these three guys mentioned over and over and over again. Sanballat, I mean, man, against Nehemiah and the work every step of the way. You know, the interesting thing about this guy Sanballat is that he was married, or his, the daughter of Sanballat was married to the grandson of the high priest, Eliashab. We're going to see that later in Nehemiah 13. And according to an Egyptian, an Egyptian papyri, what we find is that this guy was actually governor in Samaria. Uh, we have a picture of the piece of uh, papyrus. And if you get a chance, I encourage you to go online, look up this, uh, this discovery, this archaeological discovery. It actually has a lot of biblical information, I guess you could say, historical information. They have fragments of it in, uh, in New York and I believe also in, um, in Berlin. And so anyways, uh, these guys are, are coming against uh, Nehemiah. We got this guy, Sanballat. He's a Samaritan. And then we have this guy, Tobiah. He was an anima, Ammonite. Now, we know the Ammonites were descendants of Lot. 
that was a product of an incestuous relationship. And so basically, when you look at these guys, and then the last guy we have right here, his name is Geshep, and he's an Arab. These were three guys that were uh, vocal, public enemies of God. I mean, they were just against the Lord, right? But it's interesting how we read right here that they want to meet with Nehemiah. It says right there in verse 2, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But he says right there, They thought to do me harm. You know, sometimes I get, I get a little bit, I don't know if convicted is the right word, but I, I don't know, something inside of me. I think it's because within my nature, I am easy to manipulate, I think. Uh, by nature, I, I think people can probably control me. If it weren't for the Lord, I know I would be in big trouble. I don't know if any of you ever struggle with that. You know, you want everybody to like you. And so, you know, someone asks you to, to meet with them. You say yes. Next thing you know, you've got you know, 20 uh, lunch dates and 17 dinner dates and, you know, you're meeting with everybody and you're on the phone all the time and you're text messaging 1,075, you know, texts every day. And, and, and what ends up happening is you, you kind of find yourself really struggling in the work that God's called you to do. You know, these guys right here, they were clearly enemies and they wanted to meet with Nehemiah, Right? I mean, and, you know, when you look at them historically, they weren't significant enemies. I mean, one guy is a governor of Samaria. The other guy, according to history, Geshem was a king, an Arabian king. And so these are big-time enemies, and uh, they want to meet with Nehemiah. You know, one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do, um, you try to accommodate people as God would lead you, but even though I know some people won't understand and they will be offended, you know, you have to discover what your ministry is, what God has called you to do, and you have to make sure that you stick the priorities that he has for you, you see. Nehemiah here, I mean, some people will look at him and say, you know, well, why didn't you just meet with them? Maybe you could have witnessed to them. Maybe you could have, you know, uh, influenced them. Uh, apparently, and I know Nehemiah, he was a man of prayer, he prayed about it. He said, no, I, I don't think they're open. You know, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, don't feed your pearls to the swine. And so, you know, that's people that are not open, people that are really in it, not just to really get counsel from you, or they're really teachable. A lot of times they just want something from you. They want a position. They want a title. You know, they want something that you can give. In all reality, they should, they're probably better off meeting with God than with you. You know, sometimes we do meet with people. Don't get me wrong. But Nehemiah here, he said no. God made it clear. Look what it says right there. Oh no, in the plain of oh no, man. And so that's the Lord confirming. I'm not supposed to meet with these guys, right? You know, looking at this, it's so cool the way that Nehemiah works. Um, look what it says in verse 4. Uh, but they sent me this message four times. And so they're relentless, right? And I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, and in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king, and that you have also appointed prophets to proclaim 
concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and here it is again, let us consult together. And then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. You know, Nehemiah, uh, you know, you wonder, like, what his life was like, man. I mean, what it was growing up. I'm not sure everything that he went through. Eventually, you know, we understand he became the cupbearer to the king. He got exalted to a position. And, you know, you look at that position and all the riches that that had and even maybe an influence upon the ruler of the world. And you would think, well, that's my purpose in life. But I still think, in looking at Nehemiah's life, that that was still preparation. I think that what we're looking at here, it was a greater purpose in the life of Nehemiah. God called him. God made him. God you know, prepared him and brought him through so much so that he would be used to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we're going to see later, not just rebuild the walls, but restore the people to God. And so for him, it was that. Question, what is it for you? What was it for Hudson Taylor? China. David Livingstone? Africa. I mean, you look at these guys and, you know, you wonder, Amy Carmichael? India. What is it for you? Susanna Wesley, she was the 25th child. They had a big family. <laughs> she was the last one. She herself had 19 children. What was it for her, being a mom? She was a mother of 19 children. One of them was Charles Wesley and John Wesley. These guys went out, and they won so many souls to Christ. Uh, the Methodist Church was born, and when it began, it was an awesome church. Who was really the founder of Methodism? It wasn't... Charles Wesley or John Wesley, it was Susanna Wesley. I mean, at the end of the day, what's the calling for you? You know, Monica of Hippo, another wonderful mom, influenced God to save her son Augustine, who would change the church. Was it Augustine or was it his mom? What's your calling in life? See, I think it's important for us to understand what it is so that when we work, we won't be distracted. That we realize this is a battle and the enemy will try everything he can you know, to keep us from doing you know, the best thing. Oh, here's some good things over here. No, we got to stick to what he's called us to do. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a wife, there are priorities at home, you're a teacher, you're a pastor, you're a missionary, you're an overseer, whatever it might be, you know, I want you to know that that is a great work because you serve a great God. And that's where he puts you. And what I want to encourage you guys to do is to find out what that work is and don't let anything or anyone ever stop you from following that calling of God in your life. You know, the enemy will do everything he can to stop us from the work or to stop us from finishing the work. You know, here we see uh, four things that the, en the enemy did in order to try to stop Nehemiah. Number one, when we look at our enemies, what do they want to do? Our enemies do not want us to finish. They don't want us to finish. You know, it says there in, in verse one that they had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. 
So, you know, you look at the wall and, you know, it's done, except for the doors and the gates. They haven't been hung yet. And so he's almost done. Now, a lot of people are okay with that. I'm almost done. I almost finished the project at home, or I almost read the book. Or, you know what, I played, you know, for three and a half quarters of that basketball game, and I gave it everything I I had. But then what ends up happening is, you know, that last, whatever, 10 minutes, five minutes, you know, you collapse, you quit, and you lose. Why? Because you didn't finish. How many of you guys have seen those videos of those runners running the race, and they're towards the end, and they start celebrating? Yeah. Next thing you know, they look, and someone just passes them by. Why? Because they didn't finish. It's important for us to finish, right? The enemy will do everything he can to keep us from finishing. You know, close, but not complete. It might look like you're done, but we don't finish until we take our last breath on earth and our first breath in heaven. We got to know that, you guys. So the enemy will do anything and everything he can to cause the work to cease. Look what it says there in verse 3. It says, well, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? In your life, the work should never cease. I'm not saying you never have a season of rest. Sometimes you're regrouping. Jesus said, come aside by yourselves for a while and rest. I know there are those times you have a vacation, but don't let the work cease if God doesn't want it to stop. We've got to keep going, right? I mean, how many times have we seen husbands or wives? I mean, you know, a lot of times divorces happen in the first couple of years, but it's not always there early. Sometimes they're way into their marriage, man, 30, 40 years into their marriage, and they don't finish, right? I mean, it can happen. I was even thinking about parents, you know? And I know it changes as you get older as a parent. Uh, you know, my kids are still young, and I still feel like they're in the early stages, you know, but... You know, then your kids get older. I I wonder if some parents ever say, sorry, I'm not going to help you anymore because I'm done being your parent. Now you go and figure it out and grow up. Probably not, huh? Not that you continue to control them, but you continue to pray for them, just like when they were two or three or four or little ones within your house. I mean, they're older now, and you might even have to pray for them more, give them counsel as God would lead you. That, That never ends, huh? Until you die, right? I mean, I think of the work that we have to do to finish, you know, the, the pastors, the leaders, the servants, the, all the parts of the body of Christ. And one of the things I remember um, Dr. Duffield used to tell us when he used to teach, he was 84 years old, and he'd be teaching over there in West Covina. And I wish I could imitate him, but I can't, but he was so cool. And uh, he said that he accepted the Lord when he was five years old. And so he was walking with the Lord for 79 years. And I remember him standing up there in the pulpit and saying, don't think it gets easy. He said, it gets harder when you get older. And I thought, well, no, that's not true. I mean, I know how to, you know, be a Christian now. And, you know, but the, the, the truth is, is, the enemy knows that, you know, you're almost there and he'll do everything he can to try to stop you from working or stop you from walking with the Lord. You know, I thank God for the example of Pastor Chuck Smith to the very end. He's got oxygen in his nose and he's, 
Uh, we were talking to Pastor Tommy Koda because he was there at staff at Calvary Chapel close to Mesa. And he would tell us how he would walk in with his oxygen tank and still go up and do the sermon, sometimes just barely breathing. People would come and want to talk to him. And he wouldn't say, I'm sorry right now, I just can't do it. No, he would sit there, he would stand there, and he would minister to them to the very end. Some of you here, you're older, and you think, well, God can't use me. I'm a little older now. We've got to pass the baton to the next generation. And in one sense, we do. But in one sense, you've got to know that your work for the Lord continues, and it carries on. And so, you know, looking at this, it looked like he was done, but he wasn't done. The enemy will do everything he can to stop us from finishing the race. You know, what a great example we have in Paul the Apostle, huh? Remember what he said in Acts 20, 24? None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So everybody's telling him, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. It's going to be tough. Well, it doesn't matter if it's tough. That doesn't determine whether or not I'm supposed to go or not. question is, what's God's will for my life? And so he did go, and he did get arrested. But then he wrote letters from prison that are in our Bibles. See, he was a man who finished the race, right? I mean, and then there's those words we see in Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, as we read 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So he did what he wanted to do. God helped him to finish. I, I'm thinking of those words spoken by Paul to Archippus in Colossians 4, 17, where the Bible says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So the Greek words uh, translated take heed are usually translated to see. Can I ask you a question? Everyone here, listen. Do you see the ministry that God has given to you? You need to take heed to it. You need to see it. This is what God is calling me to. And you need to, the same word is translated beware. There's a warning there. I want to encourage you to know that this is why you're here. You're not here to serve yourself. You're here to serve the Lord. And so we need to take heed to that ministry, right? And then we, as we do see it, and then when we realize, oh, okay, this is what God wants me to do, then you know you're going to be able to fulfill that ministry. That word speaks of executing one's duties, uh, carrying through to the end, and completing the work in every aspect. You know, you guys know this, right? That that the work that you are called to do and created to do, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that will bring the most satisfaction in life? I mean, if that's what you're made to do, I'm telling you, man, that, that's, that'll satisfy you. That'll give you, like Paul said, joy when you do what you were made to do. You know, another movie that I like, and I don't know if it's a good movie or not, but I will tell you, Speed Racer. I like Speed Racer. Now, I'm not a movie critic, okay? I'm not like, they don't ask me, you know, to vote in the Academy Awards or anything like that. But, you know, there's a scene in the movie that I cry in every time when the mom, she just talks about what happens when her boy races and just how it takes her breath away, you know? 
when he does what he was made to do, it just takes her breath away and he's like the best racer, right? And I think for us that'll happen when we discover what God wants us to do and, you know, we do that. That takes prayer. That takes a relationship with him. That's what Nehemiah was all about. That's what Paul was all about. You know, that's what Paul was telling Archippus to be uh, all about. As far as we know, Archippus was the pastor. We know that uh, met there in Colossae, the church met in his house. And so he said, hey, Archippus, man, I want to warn you. I want to encourage you. Open your eyes to the ministry that, that you have received. And so I pray, you guys, we would finish the race. That's one thing the enemy is going to try to stop us to do. Our enemies do not want us to finish. Secondly, our enemies will put up a fight. Did you guys know that? You know, like I said earlier, if you're not doing anything already, if you're already kicking back, messing up, then he'll leave you alone. You know, he's like, oh, well, I'll let him ruin their own life. But if you start seeking God, then he will fight you tooth and nail. And that's exactly what happened with Nehemiah. You know, the enemy sometimes will fight violently, openly, but usually they'll fight very deceptively. Pretending to be your friend, pretending to be an ally, when on all reality they're an enemy. You know, he's all calm, let us meet together. And it looks all right, but it's actually part of the fight. He wanted the work to cease. And you notice how it says right here that he tried four times. Look at verse four, they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner and then in, in verse 5 uh, he sends the open letter it's an incrimination it's an accusation trying to strike fear into Nehemiah's life look at the end of verse 7 it says so come therefore and let us consult together you know later on we're going to see that he's going to ask Nehemiah to come and, and meet in the temple I mean it's just crazy the way that the enemy will put up a fight, sometimes pretending to be our friend when he's really not. Yes, we need to be aware of these things. We need wisdom in everything. Everything. Every person you meet with. Every time. Everything. We need God's guidance. Our enemies do not want us to finish. Our enemies will put up a fight. And then thirdly, our enemies will try to kill us. Did you guys know that? They'll try to kill us. And that's what happened here with Nehemiah. Uh, uh, look what it says if you read in verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, the son of Mehedabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God in the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come uh, to kill you. And that was an accusation, or that was uh, really a false prophecy. But we, we read right there in verse 2 that they thought to do Nehemiah harm. You know, if you smite the shepherd, then you have a better chance of scattering the sheep, you know? And one of the things that we got to know as Christians is that we're targets, especially if we have a t any type of positive spiritual influence. You know, uh, David wrote often about this. Did Saul try to kill him? Many times, huh? Remember, he threw spears at him. <laughs> he 
he made it pretty obvious, right? He sent armies after him. He tried to kill him. Uh, we know this happens frequently. I think Joseph uh, was tried to kill, be killed by his brothers. You guys remember in the book of Acts chapter 12, Peter was arrested. He was on death row, right? The enemy tried to kill him. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.23 said he experienced deaths often. And so there was one time where he even died, you know, but God brought him back to life. And so, you know, what I'm saying is this, is that, yeah, we're going to go through stuff like that. We know Jesus was also, uh, they tried to kill him when he was two years old, right? When he was just barely born. And then who knows what happened to him throughout his uh, childhood and then growing up. And then we know later as he grew up, the devil tried to push him, jump him off the pinnacle of the temple, told him to jump off. Non-believers tried to push him off over a cliff. They tried to seize him numerous times, but his time had not yet come. There's an interesting psalm in Psalm 37. It says, The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand. You know, sometimes people are afraid uh, to minister because they're afraid to die. And yes, the enemy will try to kill you. But you guys, you got to know that we will not die uh, until God says so, right? And so the, the wicked, they try to slay us, but God says, I'm not going to give them over to their hands. And so here's the thing. Um, just know this, that the enemy will try to take you down, but we need to pray for each other. How many of you guys pray before you eat? that you won't die. No, I'm just joking. You just pray because you're happy. Uh, you pray before you drive. Do any of you do that? Is that okay to do, to pray before you? I'm really praying. When my son's driving right now, we're praying, <laughs> fasting. I'm just joking. He's a great driver. Um, but, you know, here's something that I, I would just say. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, remember I just told you about how Peter was on death row? How did he get out of death row? It says in verse 5 that there was constant prayers being offered up by the church for him. See, so what do we need to do? Knowing that the enemy's after us, pray for each other, right? Pray for your leaders. I think that would be cool as well. Just thinking what the enemy tries to do, uh, to, doesn't want us to finish. He will put up a fight, tries to kill us. Here's probably the most important thing for tonight. Our enemy will attempt to plant fear inside of our hearts. Here, give me your heart. Let me put a seed of fear in there. And you know what that'll do? That'll totally thrash your life. You know, what I want to encourage you guys to do is to guard yourself against fear. Out of all the things the enemy does, this is probably the most dangerous. Because if fear finds a home in our hearts, then we're done. I mean, it's like cancer. It's the antithesis to courage, and it'll spread like wildfire. So more than likely, if we are not like following that call of God in a passionate way, it's because there's some type of fear inside of us. Afraid to die, afraid to suffer, afraid to sacrifice, afraid to, you know, what are they going to say about me? What will they think about me? What will they do to me if I choose to follow God and not them? You know, what happens if I fail? I step out in faith. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid. 
And, and when the enemy plants that seed of fear within us, man, we're in really big trouble. You know, here we see that they were lying about Nehemiah, saying, oh, you just, you know, want to be king. You know, I'll tell you guys a little side story with Greg Laurie, and maybe you already know this about Greg Laurie, but some people are giving him a hard time. Uh, I, I remember one person saying, oh, Greg Laurie, he's just trying to be the next Billy Graham. You know, and they said it in a way that, to me, there's kind of like this. Oh, Nehemiah, you're just trying to be king. How do you know that? Do you know Greg Laurie's heart? What if he's just trying to serve God and trying to see people get saved? We can't judge a person's motives. So, you know, when you try to do great things for God, people might say things about you or the way that you're doing it. You know what? Who cares? You check your own heart. You do what God has called you to do and let the chips fall where they may. You know, right here we see Nehemiah. He's just going forward, man. And he's like, this is what God wants me to do. But the enemy's trying to strike fear inside of his heart, right? Look at verse 9. This is really the key. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done, right? I mean, when we have fear, we're going to have weak hands, and then the work doesn't get done. Uh, we're going to see it again later in verse 13 and verse 14. Now, they were trying to make him afraid. And so uh, we need to know as Christians what the enemy will try to plant within our hearts, and that is fear. You know, what we find is that God will give us strength. You know, and even though we find ourselves fearful at times, uh, what we do is we come to the Lord and He encourages us. And then we, you know, just know He's with us, He's for us. And then we're not afraid of anything. You know, what step of faith, what giant, what mountain, what challenge will you be able to tackle in life because God is with you and not against you? And like I've told you guys many times before, a lot of times people will say, well, Manny, you know, you know, you know and they'll even sometimes blame it on well, that, that my pastor, my, my, my overseer over here, you know, and that person over here, you know, they did that to me, and, you know, now I find myself, you know, dude, you know, no one can stop the work of God in and through your life but you. Don't blame it on other people. You know, and we've seen this throughout Scripture. Did Saul try to stop David? Oh, yes, he did. Was he able to? Absolutely not. No way. So you've got to stay focused on the Lord. You know, you've got to have that courage, man, and you've got to make sure that you continue. Look what Nehemiah did. It says in verse 9 that he, that he prayed. Look at verse 9. They're all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. So what does he do? He prays. He says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. That's a great prayer, huh? And so again, we read in verse 10, afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, the son of Mehedabel. Isn't this sad? Who was a secret informer? You know, and I don't think we have any spies here. Do we have any spies? I've heard a few, but I won't say any names tonight, okay? <laughs> 
Anyway, this is so sad. A secret informer there. Let us meet together in the house of the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. They're trying to make Nehemiah afraid, right, to stop the work. And he said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Isn't that crazy? Here's a guy that Nehemiah trusted. He said, come over our house. We're going to have our sada tonight, and we're going to hang out. You know, he said, hey, Nehemiah, let's go to the temple because they're going to try to kill you. And then Nehemiah perceived, you know what? The guy right here that I thought was good is actually a hireling. He's in it just for the money. And so what ends up happening? Nehemiah, his eyes are open. And he says, whoa, this is crazy. Even he's on their side. Even he's a secret informer. I mean, you got the high priest, you know, and his grandson's married to the enemy's daughter. And then you've got Tobiah connected to priests in marriage. And we're going to see later, Tobiah's even living in the temple. It was such a, a battle for Nehemiah. But, you know, he doesn't quit. You know, he says, I'm not going to run away from this. You know, what does the hireling do when things get tough? He runs away, right? And so, you know, he found out this was the Lord. It says in verse 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. And so again he prays, my God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets, notice who would have made me afraid. And it comes back to that. What are you afraid of? You know what I would encourage you guys to do tonight is, uh, is just go home and spend time with the Lord just in case there are any fears in your life. Well, I'm afraid that if I wait on the Lord, I'll never get married. I'm afraid, you know, if I, whatever, and you fill in the blank. I mean, prayerfully, we do what's right. You know, so look what happens, man. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Isn't that cool? They finished it, man. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And I love that, that, that section. To me, man, when you realize that the enemy fought them tooth and nail every step of the way, but when they were all done, they were able to say that we finished the work. Remember what Jesus said when his disciples said, hey, we got some pizza for you? And he said, no, not now. Remember what Jesus said? He said, my food is to finish the work, to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. What is food to you? You know, I, I, it's funny, you guys. I hope I don't offend anybody here, man. But some people, they love food. They fight over food. I mean, have you ever had people that, that in your house that fight over cookies or the last slice of pizza? I mean, I'm serious. I'm like, whoa, man, this is crazy. 
You know, because food, I mean, I don't know what it is, ma'am, but it sustains us and it satisfies us and it just, I don't know, I guess you could say in one sense, it keeps us going. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. And we know he did just that when he died on that cross. What did he say? To telestai in the Greek, he said, it is finished. And so what ends up happening when we finish our work? What we see right here is that, you know, when they finish the work, God was glorified. Everybody saw it and they're like, man, there's no doubt about it. That's the Lord. They perceived it was God and it was a witness. And who knows, maybe many of those people came to the living God because they finished the work. And so Nehemiah was used by God to finish those walls. Question, is his work done? No. Look what it says next in verse 17. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him. Ah, doesn't that break your heart? Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Johah. Nahan had married the daughter of Meshulam. Now Meshulam is a priest, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. And so the wall is done, but the work is not done, right? And so for us, that's the way it works. I mean, he's got certain works for you to do. My encouragement to you is to find out what they are. And finish the work. Don't let anyone stop you from the work that your precious Lord is giving you to do. But when that thing gets done, then you have to go on to whatever is next. And when is the work finished for us? When we die or get raptured. Until then, nobody retires. 